Hi, everybody. My name is Ashley. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. It's great to be with you on this Christmas week, this final Sunday of the season of Advent. We are so thankful to be worshiping with all of you at home. Uh, if you have Bibles, we are going to finish out uh, this Advent season in the book of Isaiah, as we've done in weeks past. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. We'll read, we'll pray, and then see what the Lord has for us. Chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, God, we give you thanks for the gift of being able to hold and read and sit with these words that have, Lord, moved across generations, centuries, empires, deserts, exiles, war. Incredible to imagine, Lord, that through all of that, you have preserved and protected these words so that they might find their way to us. All, Lord, we trust and believe is because you are at work. This story that you are telling through your son is at work, is alive and well. And we are thankful, God, today to get to be a part of it, to be caught up in it. We remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus. We remember and celebrate that centuries before he was born, even then, Lord, you were at work foretelling of his life, the promises that would be fulfilled in him. For all of this, God, we give you thanks. And trust in no Holy Spirit that that same God, you are, Lord, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are with us even now. We pray all these things, Lord, we look to you now and to your word because of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So today is the final Sunday in the season of Advent. And what a fitting text uh, it is to sit with. Uh, no doubt those of you who have kids have probably been sitting with these verses for the last number of weeks. I know we have in our house memorizing these verses, or at least attempting to, with our kids at home, probably a very familiar passage to a lot of us. And it's very likely impossible that we don't all immediately think of Jesus when we read these verses. And well, we should. The connection that we make to Jesus, we make because Matthew makes it for us. He makes it explicitly in chapter 4. 
quotes from this passage in reference to the life and birth of Jesus. And yet, of course, we know that Isaiah was prophesying, would have given these words centuries before Jesus was ever born, and most likely in reference to the birth and reign of King Hezekiah, not Jesus. King Hezekiah would be the king whose reign would help to like push back the oppressive plague that was Assyria that was like constantly bearing down on top of Judah at this time in the world. Hezekiah is the one who would institute reforms that would uh, be a light in darkness and help to restore uh, Judah and Israel uh, in the aftermath of the reign that was King Ahaz. And so there was good reason for people to hope uh, in Hezekiah's reign. Hezekiah's reign would ultimately, of course, pave the way for the life of Jesus, who would, of course, ultimately be the one who would deliver his people from the tyranny of sin and death. So there's a really important link here and interesting to imagine that in both instances, these verses are referring to the hope that a besieged people feel whenever a new king is born, which is just something really interesting to think about. Why on earth would oppressed people, besieged people, people who are up against the empire of Assyria or the Roman empire, people facing real crisis, real threat, have any hope at all or care for the birth of a baby? What is a baby in the face of the Assyrian Empire or the Roman Empire? These were the most powerful empires in the world at the time. And yet, as far as the prophets were concerned, as soon as these babies were born, their days were numbered. Their time had been cut short. I think that it's really fascinating to imagine that for Isaiah, when he thought of baby Hezekiah, he believed in that small, vulnerable infant that there was like empire-slaying power that was at work in that baby, small and fragile and vulnerable as he seemed. Isaiah believed that there was some small sign, some baby-sized reason to hope that God was at work through him. And the same, of course, was true for Jesus. It's the reason that Christmas is a thing. It's a reason that we celebrate, that we're called to rejoice and hope at the birth of a baby because what is a baby really in the face of all the trouble that we're up against? Real adversaries, real opposition. Well, that's the message of Christmas, right? Is that actually quite a lot as it turns out. As far as Isaiah was concerned, as far as Simeon and Matthew, those who were there for the birth of Jesus and held him or witnessed his, him being an infant. With their births, Israel was the same as saved already. It was done. And that in of itself is a fascinating a thought for me. And here, I think, is the question presented through a text like this and in light of those two stories. If I had been present at Hezekiah's bedside, if I'd seen him either as a baby or a small child, or if I had been with Mary at the birth of Jesus or had the opportunity, like many, to have seen him in the temple, to know him as a child, would I have been able to look at either Hezekiah or at Jesus and recognized in them the work of God? Could I have looked at the infant Jesus and seen God at work on my behalf? Would I have seen my own salvation, reason to hope in his tiny little face? 
Or would I have instead felt hopelessness, frustration even, that somehow this small and seemingly very fragile and vulnerable thing, person, was supposed to help me confront, combat, withstand all of the really strong, the really big adversaries that I'm up against in my own life. I don't know. But I do believe that this passage is instructive on this point, that it's meant to teach us something about how God works in our lives. Maybe what it's saying to us in a roundabout sort of way is that God often comes in ways that I'm tempted to dismiss and think of as small. And that when I'm up against adversaries or circumstances that I think are too difficult, too powerful, failing marriage, financial crisis, illness, that's when maybe I should be on the lookout for small signs, for baby-sized reasons to hope that God is making his way towards me, that he's at work, that he's with me. But the reality is that too many of us, myself included, are not practiced. We're not in the habit of looking for God in these ways. We're too quick to chalk things up to coincidence, to dismiss something as emotion or feeling, and we're too slow to pray, to take risks, to wonder if when something happens that seems outside the ordinary or makes us feel a certain way, to wonder, is that you, Lord? Could that be God? We sort of trained ourselves not to get our hopes up. And what I love about Christmas is that unapologetically, the invitation, the exhortation even, is to say, get your hopes up. Do not dismiss or belittle or make too small the things that God has called great, his work of salvation and his signs and offers of hope. We spent the month of November praying as a church, come Holy Spirit, and I hope that this is a prayer that you continue to pray. And we are now, of course, in this season, adding to come Holy Spirit, come, O come, Emmanuel, come Jesus. Here's the thing, though, y'all. We cannot pray, or we ought not, really. What's the use in praying these prayers, come Holy Spirit, come, O come, Emmanuel, if I'm not taking time to stop and look and listen and watch for him to come? If I'm going to pray, come Holy Spirit, come Jesus, then I also ought to have the instinct to keep my eyes open, to be looking and watching. And that means, practically speaking, I'm going to pray specific prayers, big ones and little ones, that when I sit with my Bible, I'm going to be looking for small signs, baby-sized reasons to hope. A word stirs in my heart or prompts me to think about something or pray for somebody, and I'm going to pay attention to those things. I'm going to move myself intentionally to take risks, to step outside of my comfort zone, to do things that might otherwise, in a different season, I might consider insignificant or too small to make any difference at all. Certainly couldn't be God. 
was thinking about this and thinking about a lot of my life and different stories, things that have happened and, you know, from epic things to really small things and like Rosa Parks came to mind. I've often thought about her and that day when she woke up that morning. I don't think when Rosa Parks woke up that morning, she thought, you know what, today I believe I will catalyze a revolution. I believe that God has called me to initiate the civil rights movement. I don't think that's what happened. I think girl got up, got ready for work, went to get on the bus and then decided to sit down. And then her gut stirred a certain way and she refused to get up. And I don't think that's all that dissimilar from what happened just the other day. A friend, I was sitting in my office, he called me. He said, you know, I just, I wanna ask you, can you help me pray about something? I've been talking to this guy we were supposed to meet today, but he sent me a text message, says he's not coming. And I just have a feeling, I feel like maybe he's in a really desperate, dark place. Will you, will you pray with me? And so we did, we stopped. We made it a point to get up and not just pray, but to contend for this person to pray in a, in a powerful way, an influential way, in the ways that we could. Later that day, that same friend came back into my office and said, I wanna thank you for praying with me because he was in a really desperate and dark place. And I don't know, but I think God moved and worked through our prayers. And here's the thing, I don't know. Jesus didn't reveal that to me. I don't have some special knowledge that that's the case. But you know what I felt in a moment like that? It was on the off chance that the Holy Spirit moved through that friend and through my life in order to contend on behalf of this other person. I want to be a part of that God's work in the world, particularly in a season like this. I want to see the kingdom of heaven come out of my hands and through my prayers. That's the kind of influence I want to have. And so if it means that I take risks, that I look foolish every now and then, that I'm looking for God in small signs and baby-sized reasons to hope, well then, okay. That's what it'll mean. And there'll be a lot of those and probably fewer really epic mountains of transfiguration, resurrections, that sort of thing. Lastly, I just want to leave you with this image. Luke tells us that Simeon was guided by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him into the temple on the day that he met Jesus. And I don't know exactly what that looked like. You know, maybe Simeon, because he was an old priest, and I'm referencing this story that, you know, maybe some of you don't know. And in case you don't know, we better look at it really quickly. This is from Luke's Gospel. Um, I just want to read you these verses. Simeon was the priest um, that when Mary and Joseph went to the temple, there was an old priest there who'd been waiting for the Messiah to be born. All of his life he'd spent uh, waiting for the Messiah. And when he sees Jesus, this is what he says. He says, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. He's praying. He's talking to God. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Glory to your people Israel. In other words, this old priest who's been waiting all these years for the Messiah to be born, he sees Jesus. And when he sees him, when he holds this baby in his arms, he knows this is the salvation of God. God has heard and answered my prayers and the prayers of Israel. Here's what moves me about that story. The Holy Spirit prompts Simeon to go into the temple. And I, again, I don't know how that happened exactly, but I suspect it was not an epic revelation. It was probably more like a gut feeling. Simeon had probably gone into the temple looking for the Messiah hundreds of times. 
And on this particular day, he feels a feeling in his gut and he decides, I'm going to trust it. I'm going to go in. And so he goes into the temple. And this time he looks and he sees Mary. And he sees Mary holding a baby. And the Bible doesn't have to tell me, you don't have to tell me for me to know that when he saw Mary and he saw that baby, that in his mind and in his heart, he was asking himself the question, praying to God, is that you, Lord? Enough so that he went up to Mary, he asked if he could hold him, and when he locked eyes with Jesus, he knew. God had answered his prayers. This was the work of God. He was able to recognize it in a baby-sized sign. And that's powerful to me. That's how I want to live my life with God. That when the Holy Spirit speaks and gives me a nudge, prompts me, why don't we go this way, to the left or to the right? As the prophet says, listen, be still, and you will hear a voice saying to you in your ear to move to the left or to the right. I want to live my life that way so that I can follow these small signs and baby-sized reasons to hope and then grow in my capacity to see God at work in my life. And I believe that's the invitation for every single one of us in Advent. What better way to celebrate this season than to not just sing the song, Come, O Come, Emmanuel, not just pray the prayer, that God would come and heal and restore the world, but that he would move into your life in the same way he moved into Nazareth. Small, fragile, seemingly insignificant, but full of power and glory. May it be so. May it be so. We will see you all on Christmas Eve in one way or another. In Jesus' name. And we're going to ask a couple of questions, as is our habit, just to give you some space for reflection before we go. And do this on your own or do this with the talk about these questions with the people you are worshiping with. Here's the first. Number one, can you name the big adversaries you feel like you're up against right now? Your Assyria or Rome sized adversaries, external ones, internal ones. What opposes your joy and your hope? Just name them to yourself. Name them to your friends. And number two, can you name small signs of hope? Baby-sized things that cause you to feel hopeful in this season. And can you, what would it look like for you to start to trust that God is at work in these things? Talk about that together. Work it out with the Lord in your time of prayer. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We'll see you on Christmas Eve. God bless you all.